but stress behavior is caused. It is not chosen. And by punishing a child for stress behavior, it is incredible how much harm you are doing. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and welcome to the fall 2022 season of the podcast. I'm so excited to kick things off with a really just fantastic interview. For the first time on this show, I'm talking with Dr. Stuart Shanker, who I first learned about through my friend Seth Perler, as Stuart has been part of the TIFOS Summit in years past. I love Stuart's message and recently devoured his book, Self-Reg, How to Help Your Child and You Break the Stress Cycle and Successfully Engage with Life. And so I wanted to talk with Stuart to go deeper into that book. In this episode, we talk about the ways in which the brain controls the levels of stress, the difference between self-regulation and self-control, and what stress behavior looks like versus misbehaving. Stuart also walks us through his five steps to self-reg and talks about the power of us as parents and caregivers and educators doing our own self-regulation work so we can support the kids around us. Here's a little bit more about my guest. Dr. Stuart Schenker is a distinguished research professor emeritus of philosophy and psychology, the founder and visionary of the Merit Center, and Self-Reg Global Inc., His book, Calm, Alert, and Learning, Classroom Strategies for Self-Regulation, which came out in 2012, is a top-selling educational publication in Canada. He's also the author of the book we're talking about today, Self-Reg, as well as Self-Reg Schools, a handbook for educators, and his newest book, Reframed, Self-Reg for a Just Society. This is a great conversation. I hope you get a lot out of it. Before I get to that, I just want to once again welcome you to this fall season. I have a great lineup for you, including episodes on some topics we haven't covered extensively before on this show, like rejection-sensitive dysphoria, polyvagal theory, PDA, freeing your child from negative thinking, and much more. And Playback Fridays will be back starting this Friday too, and that's where I dive back into the archives and re-release a popular episode from the first few years of this show. So don't forget to subscribe to Tilt Parenting wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any of these episodes. Lastly, in addition to planning for and producing this upcoming season of the podcast, I've been busy on some other projects over the past few months. One of these is that I've updated my free seven-day differently wired challenge. So if you're newer to Tilt Parenting and you haven't done this yet, I invite you to join nearly 4,000 other parents and caregivers and take the challenge. When you sign up, you'll get a super short video from me every day for seven days, highlighting one practical, actionable thing you can start doing right away to make a real change in the way you think, feel, and act in relation to your child. You'll also get a mini downloadable workbook to keep track of your progress. And again, it's free. To sign up for the seven-day Differently Wired Challenge, just visit tiltparenting.com slash seven-day. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And now here is my conversation with Stuart. Hey, Stuart, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Debbie. I feel like this is an overdue conversation. I was saying before we hit record that I probably first heard you speak 
through Seth Perler, who is a good friend. He's been on the show a lot talking about executive function. And so I've always really resonated with your message. I'd love if you could, you know, as a way to get into this, just take a few minutes and introduce yourself and your work to us in your own words. Well, I ran a a very unusual kind of clinic at York University. And in this clinic, we had uh, therapy on one side and a neuroscience lab on the other. And what we would do is essentially, we were working with kids. I love your expression, differently wired kids. That's what we were, I've got two of my own and I wanted to understand them. And so we would do therapy and then have a look and see inside the brain what was going on, what was working, what wasn't working, and how could we tell? How could we tell if something was actually helping the kid or not? So we ran that for seven years. And then the next part of the mandate was we had to, this is a very expensive project. It was a $10 million project. And the next part was we had to make what we had learned accessible, usable for all parents and all educators. So we set up an organization called the Merit Center. And let me encourage all of your listeners to go on our website because there's all kinds of stuff you can get for free at self-reg.ca. And our expectation, we never advertised or anything. We were simply doing this as a service. But it exploded on us, as uh, Seth can attest. Right now, we are literally all over the all over the globe, and it's because of a couple of reasons. Can I explain those? I won't just talk about the differently wired kid, but all kids. And we are seeing today an explosion, a literal explosion of stress-related problems. These might be physical, they might be mental health, and and it's obviously due to, and it's been much harder on our own kids. So it's obviously due to the very high stress levels that all of society is experiencing. But it's also due to a couple of other factors. One of them is what we call maladaptive ways of handling your stress, maladaptive self-regulation. And the other one is not having enough of the experiences or the neurochemicals that turn off stress, that turn off the stress response. So I think the reason why the Merit Center has grown the way it has is simply the case that there is an enormous need right now. And it's not just for kids or their parents, but it's for educators or for anyone who woke up this morning and made the mistake of reading the day's news. Yeah, as I was reading your book, I was thinking, wow, so much has happened in the years since you wrote your book. And the book I'm talking about, listeners, it's Self-Reg, How to Help Your Child and You Break the Stress Cycle and Successfully Engage with Life. And of course, I'm reading it now in 2022, thinking like, oh my gosh, all of these challenges are exacerbated now and the stress levels of kids. And I'm just wondering if there's anything you can speak to with regards to this unique time we find ourselves in. Well, it's a scary time because we're not just seeing an increase in, let's say, kids that are struggling with anxiety. We're seeing an increase in actual anxiety disorders. In fact, they've doubled. We, our latest data shows that 
about one third of all teens, uh, adolescents from, I think it was 14 to 23, have an anxiety disorder. These are crazy numbers. And when we talk about an anxiety disorder, what we're really talking about is a kid who is relying, let's say, on avoidance, can't go to school, can't go to work, can't deal with life, can't can't see their friends. They are, and, and, and obviously quite miserable. And, you know, I could go down through the list of, I could talk about various kinds of issues that we're seeing that are stress-related disorders. It could be eating disorder, it could be social. But the point is, okay, we see this happening, we know why, we can pretty much, you know, you and I could, we could spend half an hour now talking about what the stresses are. But what parents want to know and what educators want to know is what can I do? How can I change this child's trajectory? Now, I'll just mention one thing. I, I, I said before, our clinic was for kids, mostly kids on the spectrum. And what we were trying to do was shift them from maladaptive ways of dealing with stress to healthy ways. And so, for example, with a kid on the spectrum, one of the most typical behaviors they demonstrate, not universal, is what's called gaze aversion, where they won't look at their, where they sort of block the interaction with their caregiver. And I'm talking about little guys. But gaze aversion is really a way of handling stress. There's an awful lot of stress for a young child interacting with an adult, even if it's their caregiver. And it's stress that comes off the eyes. We can talk later, if you like, about what stress is. But the point is, gaze aversion is maladaptive. And it's maladaptive for all kinds of reasons. The child needs those interactions to learn language, to learn how to deal with their own stress. But they also need those interactions because the nature designed us with a system to turn off stress. We have in our limbic system, and I promised everybody I wouldn't talk too much, Brain, but deep inside our brain, right in the middle almost, there's a, a little structure that we think of as the master control system. It's called the hypothalamus. And in that, there's a group of neurons, a nucleus called the periventricular nucleus, PVN. And it has, I'm sorry for, I know I promise, but this is kind of cool. It has these neurons in it to deal with stress. A stress for scientists is anything that causes us to burn energy to keep our systems running smoothly. So these neurons are triggered by stress and they set, they set a chain of reactions that end up tapping into the body's energy. That's why we have cortisol. It's to get the energy. But in that same nucleus, in that same little tiny part of the brain, there's another set of neurons that trigger oxytocin. And Debbie's nodding her head. We know what oxytocin is. And one of its most important functions is oxytocin turns off stress. Turns off the CRF, the neurons that create this chain. So, okay, we've got these two different systems inside this little mechanism. We know what turns on the stress response. That's simple. That's stress. What turns off for the young child? What turns on, sorry, what turns on the oxy, 
oxytocin, which turns off the stress? And the answer is pretty much touch, touch. Being caressed, we have little receptors in our skin, oxytocin receptors, and when we're touched, soothed, cuddled, even, even a caregiver's gentle voice, which is also a form of touch, it's caressing the eardrum, all of these turn on the neurons, the oxytocin neurons, that restore balance, that turn off the stress response. Okay, now you can begin to see why for a kid on the spectrum, it's pretty maladaptive to go to block yourself from your caregiver because of the stress. Because what you're doing is you're depriving yourself of what nature designed. You're depriving yourself of oxytocin. The stress levels are staying very high in you. So what we did in our clinic was, okay, we've got to figure out why is this kid avoiding, say, interacting with mom and dad or whoever? What are the stresses? How can we reduce those stresses so that the child naturally wants to engage with us, wants to look at us, be with us. And that's what we did, and that's what we reported on, we wrote papers on it. But basically what it means is that by getting that child to shift from a maladaptive way of dealing with their stress, namely shutting down, to an adaptive way, namely being with us, we were changing the child's trajectory. This child now could seek out us, seek out their parents when they were overstressed. And the big lesson that we learned from all this is it is no different for any kid, for any teenager, for any young adult. If they are shutting down, avoiding us when they are overstressed because of COVID, because of global warming, because of political insanity, when they are shutting down, the latest thing, the attack on gender dysphoria, when they shut down, shrink into themselves, they are depriving themselves of oxytocin. Parents ask us all the time, what's the healthiest thing for my kid to do when they're overstressed? And the answer is come to you. The answer is come for a hug. Don't offer it. Don't impose it. And what we learned is our little guys, as young as three, could do this. And now I have a a 20-year-old hulking son who's somewhere in the background, and he has learned very well. He's on the spectrum. And he's learned very well that when, when life's a little bit too much for him, what he really needs is just a gentle voice and maybe some scratching on his arm. He's, ever, since, ever since he was a baby, he liked to be scratched. But this is a huge lesson. And it's a huge lesson not just for our children, but for our entire society. Okay, so suppose now, let's take as an example, I'm trying to talk with, you know, Uncle Joe, who is, you know, raving and ranting and ruining Thanksgiving and, you know, whatever you pick your political topic. And so I'm listening to all this. And let's suppose that I'm like Debbie. Debbie, you can see that Debbie's very grounded. So you think, well, what I got to do is I got to show Uncle Joe that what he's saying is nuts. It's irrational which it is, it's the red brain, the limbic system that's going off. But it's no different with a teenager. A teenager who is shouting, or a child. And so, you know, if I'm a parent of a little guy who's having 
let's say a temper tantrum. Well, the last thing I'm going to do to my two-year-old is say, you know, son, this is quite irrational. And, 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 and you need to understand that there are consequences, whatever. Okay, so we soothe the two-year-old. We know it. But the reality is that when my teenager does it, he has regressed to the level of a two-year-old. And what he needs is, we talk about very complicated system in the brain. He needs the arousal, the hyper-arousal, the lower parts of his brain to be soothed. He literally doesn't hear. He doesn't process what I'm saying. Uncle Joe doesn't process if he's hyper-aroused. So what Uncle Joe really needs from me, if, if we're going to have a nice Thanksgiving, is he needs the same thing as my two-year-old. He needs soft eyes and a soft voice. He actually needs a hug. He is overstressed. Our entire society is overstressed. That's why we're melting down. So this is a hugely important lesson. Everything I'm talking about now, this is the result of a revolution in neuroscience, things that we've discovered over the last 20 years. It's hugely important for how we raise our children. My own children suffered endlessly from adults who didn't understand that they were wired differently. But now it's an entire society that's, that, that desperately needs this kind of healthy modes of self-regulation. Yeah, I so appreciate that. And as I was reading your book, too, this happens a lot in my work. I guess it's an occupational hazard as I get to have these incredible conversations about the latest in neuroscience and what we know about the brain and the nervous system and supporting our kids. I a, wish I could have a do-over, right? And I think about how differently I would have shown up as a parent had I had some of these tools. So I'm really grateful to be able to share them with parents who are earlier on in their journey. We'll be right back after this quick break. There's so much more to maintaining a healthy gut microbiome than eating a balanced and healthy diet, travel, certain medications, and of course, something many of us have plenty of in our daily life, stress, are just some of the other factors that can totally throw off our systems. Enter Ritual. They created Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Their supplement includes two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gas, and diarrhea. I like Symbiotic Plus because it delivers all this goodness in one single nested minty delayed released capsule designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract. And because the capsules don't require refrigeration, I just keep them on my desk so that I get that helpful visual cue every morning. Plus, they're easy to bring with me when I travel. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. We just celebrated our two-year anniversary of Gotcha Day when we adopted our sweet Haskell, my cat who acts like a dog, plays fetch, and who I'm pretty sure has sensory processing differences. Are you getting a new pet soon? That means you'll need to think about getting the necessities like food, toys, a bed. Something you may not be thinking about, though, is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. 
The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. You share a story in your book, Self-Reg, in the opening about an interaction with a teacher who responded to a kid who was dysregulated and how one thing kind of shifted her thinking in an instant really? Is that kind of the bigger goal? And and do you find that I'm, I imagine you work with teachers in training, like, are people open to this new way of thinking about regulation? I mentioned at the outset that our organization has spread right across the country, and it's primarily been through schools. And we've never ever approached a school and, and said to them, would you like to do this? It's entirely we decided from the beginning, it would be just by word of mouth. And so we do all kinds of, we have courses for educators. And the interesting question that we are confronted with over and over is, you know, well, why should I do this? Why do I want to learn this? And, you know, my own feelings as a parent, you know, when I see how my children suffered is I want, I don't want any kid to suffer ever again. But the point that we, the, where we start with educators is the emphasis in self-regulation is on self. And what we mean by that is this is a tough job. It's, you know, it's a very high stress, as we see throughout the U.S. with teachers now quiet quitting. It's a very, very demanding job, especially in times like this when, you know, you've got, let's say, 30 kids and a large number of them are dysregulated. A large number of them are overstressed and don't know what to do about it. And so what we find as an educator is our own stress is through the roof. So every single institute that we run, the very first for for educators, the very first day is always on your self-reg needs. Now, there's a couple of reasons why we have to do this, and it applies to parents as much as to educators. Okay, it's not simply that you have to, you have to be aware of your own stress. You have to be aware of the, you have to reframe, it's called your own behavior. But there's a real problem when you're working with kids, and that is that kids, especially when they're overstressed, Don't listen to your words. They listen to your limbic system. I was only partly joking before, because if you look at Debbie carefully right now, there's a slight smile. There's a big smile now. Uh, The face is 
telling us through the she's calm now, she's grounded now, and that's what her face is expressing. That's what the child hears. That's what the child processes. So if you're calm, it comes through your facial expression, it comes through your eye gaze, it comes through, it, it, it's called leakage, and it leaks out through your nonverbal modes of communication. That's all the kid is hearing. If you're agitated, that's what the kid hears. So there's a story in the book that Debbie just mentioned about this teenage girl, and she was going through Every single night, she's 13 and she's having a fight every single night with her mom and it would last for a couple of hours. And the child was quite irrational. You know, there's an awful lot of stresses that are going on in a 13-year-old. And mom was trying to explain why all these fears were irrational. It was a wonderful kid. And that just led to shouting and door slamming and nothing. And so what the therapist said to mom, we were sitting around a group table, was the next time this happens, you have to you have to ground yourself. You have to calm yourself. You have to it's only if you're calm that the child's going to pick up on, on on that calmness and not on your agitation. So sure enough, a couple of days later, the kid had asked for a, a pink hoodie like all the other girls, and mom came home with a gray hoodie. They were out of pink hoodies. And so they had a rip-roaring fight, and mom wanted to... I'm not allowed to swear, right? It was mom who swore. Okay, so I won't repeat what mom called the kid, but she thought she was an ungrateful little such-and-such because mom had taken off her lunch hour. But she said to herself, the doctors, the therapist said that I'm supposed to go out into the hall, do some deep breathing, and, and not say anything. And so she did, and she came back into the room, and the kid was sitting on the bed, And I won't go into all the details, but the kid had blocked, had broken down what I was talking about before, that connection between child and parent. It's called an interbrain connection. And so we want to restore that somehow. And the best way we can do it is through physical touch. But when a kid is overwrought, they don't want to be touched. So you have to get permission. Anyways, she went through some steps that we explained and got the permission, started to scratch the child. And the child laid down. At this point, nobody's saying anything. And mom is gently soothing, stroking the child's arm. And then after just 15 minutes, the kid says, I have to go to sleep now. These were fights that were going, because what's happened is we've turned, she's turned off the alarm system. And as mom is walking out the door. She turns off the light. She's walking out the door. She hears a little voice say, I love you, mommy. Now that's very important because what it means is that this child has in fact regressed to infancy. And what she's now experienced and hasn't experienced in a long time is the security that her caregivers gave her when she was an infant. The security of being held, loved, protected. And what this does is it does turn off the alarm system. It does turn off the, it does turn off the stress response, something called the HBA pathway. Mom is thinking about all this and, and she's decided that no matter what, the next day she's going to take her kid after, she'll leave work early and take her kid to an outlet store to find the pink hoodie. And the next morning, the child came down to breakfast, smiling, wearing the gray hoodie. So it wasn't about the hoodie. 
And what it was about was the child was overwhelmed by social stress, which is very hard on kids today, and couldn't deal with it on her own, couldn't ask for help, didn't know what kind of help she needed. The help she needed was by touching her child, what mom was doing was triggering the oxytocin that turned off the stress so that the child could sleep. The first sleep she'd had in quite a long time, decent sleep. And that's a, there's a lesson in there for, you know, every parent, but there's also a lesson for every educator because you can do the same. You can have that same effect, effect with your voice. The voice turns off, you know, not the screaming voice, the gentle, quiet voice turns off with the same neurochemical reaction, turns off the stress response. And, you, and I've seen teachers do it. You can, they've walked in, they've got a, a class that's quite dysregulated. This isn't a case of being a therapist. This is a case of being that calming presence and then sharing your calm and turning off. Now, what you also have to do as an educator is you've got to learn this stuff. And the most important thing they've got to learn and the most important thing that parents have to learn is a huge difference between misbehavior and stress behavior. Misbehavior, misbehavior is intentional. Misbehavior is something that the kid has done on purpose. Stress behavior is caused. Both of my children, both boys, were constantly getting in trouble on the grounds that they were misbehaving. But in fact, they were stress behaviors caused, like my older son, very, very sensitive to, to noise and odors. My younger son, very, very sensitive to distractions. And the behaviors that they were punished for and, and constantly being told that you have to choose. You have to choose and suffer the consequences if you make the wrong choice. But stress behavior is caused. It is not chosen. And by punishing a child for stress behavior, it is incredible how much harm you are doing. And I am still having to undo the harm that was done to both kids. Now 20, They're now 20 and 18. Yeah. I mean, there was, a, I don't remember the exact circumstance, but there was a story in the book that it really mirrored a trajectory or, or a situation that happened with my child in first grade, you know, where one thing happened at school and it led to this and then refusing to wear the coat at recess and then getting in trouble and then, you know, just kind of spirals. Yeah, I think so many listeners to relate to that. My child's 18. I, I also feel like we're still dealing with what happened or some of those moments or entire years, perhaps, where they our kids get the message that there's something wrong with you, you're, you're a bad kid. And they internalize it. They internalize it. And it's not something that can easily be addressed, unfortunately. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. 
In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. I wanted to ask you about this distinction between self-control and self-regulation. I thought that was so interesting, too, because I do think, again, in homes and many families and in school systems, there is this priority on control yourself. You need to learn how to control yourself. And you make it very clear that controlling yourself is not the goal and can actually be a counterproductive if that's what we're working on trying to do, especially with kids who have distraction issues and all th- kinds of things going on. So can you talk about the distinction between those two things? Well, I was educated at Oxford. And at Oxford, I worked on self-regulation. And so I was looking at self-regulation as it developed in the early 20th century by American physiologists and by Hanselier. And they were really looking at self-regulating mechanisms. And that's a very important point. I gave you an example just now. There's a self-regulating mechanism between the stress response and oxytocin. Babies are born self-regulating. So how does a baby self-regulate? Well, they fall asleep. If the stress is too great, they can reduce the stress of... Now, remember, I, I mentioned a while ago, stress is anything that requires us to burn energy to stay in balance. So for a baby, the single biggest stress is probably light. They've come from a dark environment, uh, and light is a stress. It's a, you know, the, the photons are hitting the, hitting the eyes, hitting the nervous system, And you have to stay regulated. And when stress gets too much for a baby, you know, you've taken your your little... I was just dealing with this yesterday. Someone taking their little baby to a bistro. Baby is three weeks old. 
And she said to me that the baby just falls asleep instantly when they go to the bistro. So it's wonderful to get her to sleep. And in fact, what you're doing is overstressing the three-week-old and she's self-regulating. But it's not a very good mechanism. And so we have, we're born with self-regulating mechanisms. But for a kid, they really aren't very good. Like if the kid is cold, cold temperature is a stress. And the kid can be lying right beside her blanket, the baby, but doesn't, isn't able to pull the blanket up over her. So we do it for her. And as a child gets older, they learn better and better ways of consciously self-regulating. And that means of recognizing when they're overstressed, learning how to handle that stress in a way that reduces the stress and doesn't create more stress. In fact, I'll just mention as an aside, the big crisis that we're seeing right now is, if you want, we can talk about it later, but a generation that is doing the wrong things to self-regulate. Now, what happens when a child self-regulates in a healthy way is they stop those stress behaviors in their tracks by reducing the stress, those behaviors, and it could be behaviors, it could be things like oppositional behavior, it could be something in their mood, it could be their poor attention. What we're doing is instead of trying to repress or inhibit the impulse, the impulse to hit, the impulse to argue. Instead, what we're doing is removing the impulse, figuring out where that impulse is coming from. The impulse comes from overstress. And so what we're doing is teaching the child to recognize when they're getting overstressed so that they can reduce the stresses on their own. They can self-regulate in a way where they don't have these impulses. I've worked very hard teaching both of my kids how to do this. And as you said a second ago, there's still a ways, a ways to go. Self-regulation is we get better and better at this as we go along, as we learn, uh, as we learn to recognize the signs of when we are overstressed. Now, I just want to do one tiny bit of science. I said a second ago that a stress is anything that requires us to burn energy to stay in balance. Okay, so cold weather is a stress. For a kid on the spectrum, noises, smells can be a stress. Crowds can be a stress. And so what's happening if a child is overstressed? And this is any child all of our kids, when they're overstressed, what that means is they have to burn all this energy in order to keep going. That's the definition of stress. It's something that we burn energy in order to deal with the stress. So they go into an energy deficit. Their tank is empty. And what's happening today is we've got a generation of kids now with an empty tank because of all the stress. And instead of refilling the tank, they go for dopamine. So there's all kinds of ways of getting a dopamine fix. And what dopamine does is it gives you what we call psychic energy. It gives you a burst of energy to go after something. And so you can get it from a video game or social media. You can get it from food. Everything is being tailored now to, to trigger dopamine in 
children. Now, I'll just tell you very, very quickly about probably the greatest experiment ever done in self-regulation. It was done by Milner and Olds in 1954. What they did was they gave rats two feeding stations, one where they could get dopamine and right beside it, one where they could get food and water. And what they found was that the rats were stuck on the dopamine to the point where they wouldn't go to, right beside it was food and water, they would ignore the food and water, keep on hitting the dopamine trigger, and die from a lack of food and water. It's an extraordinary discovery. And so what's happening is our kids are keeping themselves going with a dopamine fix. So what we need when we work on self-regulation is we need to, the program we run is called Self-Reg, and it's five steps to lead to something called restoration. That's the fifth step. And restoration, what you're restoring is energy. What you're restoring are your human connections, empathy, compassion. What you're restoring is your positive mood. But you can't get there because you say, well, I need to restore. You have to go through steps. And the five steps are, first, you're going to reframe behavior. Is this stress behavior? Is it misbehavior? Second, you're going to figure out what the stresses are. There are so many stresses that are not obvious in kids' lives today. So you become a stress detective. And there's a lot about that in the book that Debbie mentioned, the 2016 book. Then we're going to start to reduce stress. And that might be, if you're, if you're a kid on the spectrum, okay, don't go to the crowded place. Uh, I find myself that when I am tired, the idea of going to a crowded restaurant is unbelievably aversive. However, when I feel really good, it's kind of energizing. It gives you a buzz. So being in touch with yourself. Number four, step four is getting to calm. And by calm, what we mean is you have to be calm, not quiet. Calm refers to what's happening in your brain as well as in your body. We want the tension to relax. We want the brain waves to slow down. Very hard for a kid to do this on their own. The one piece of parenting that never works is telling a kid who's agitated, go calm down. I remember, and I wrote about this in my book, a moment where I demanded that my child do coping strategies. Like demanded, you should do your coping strategies. That didn't not work out very well. Yeah, but that's because we're overstressed too, right? And, and and so it's a way, it's a maladaptive way of, of self-regulating ourselves. Uh, and then the fifth step is restoration, physiological, parasympathetic. But the point is, you can't get to par- you can't get to restoration unless you go through the first four steps. And there's all different kinds of ways of getting through, but the, none of them are coping strategies. So we don't want the kid to cope with stress. We want the kid to learn how to thrive from stress, to benefit from stress, to recognizing when they're overstressed, and then having constructive ways of dealing with it. Okay, so let me tell you what we learned. So I've seen an awful lot of kids. I've seen thousands and thousands of kids. And in all the kids I've seen, I've never once seen a bad kid. And that's because there isn't such a thing. They're just a kid. The, the stuff that Seth's been talking about on, on, your, on your podcast, that part of their brain's not going to maturate until around the age of 24. So we're talking about a kid who's, 
whose executive functions are just starting or the systems that support them. Unfortunately, they start to tell stories to themselves. They can convince themselves, convince themselves that they're a tough guy or convince themselves that they're useless. Or And so what we want to do is we want to, if we can reframe, if we can see that this is just stress behavior and figure out what the stresses are in this child's life and what we can do, then what we find is by seeing this child differently, we see a different kid. And we can now, I love the expression in, in Spanish, palatinamente. Palatinamente, we can change, you know, slowly, step by step, we can change this child's trajectory, help them tell a new story, form a new persona, one where they thrive. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, I honestly don't give a kid is differently wired or not. It means nothing to me. It's a kid. It's a kid with wonderful gifts. And, and, and I want them to discover what their gifts are that bring them joy. And in the process, bring me joy. And we can do this. And we can do this for every single child. And that's what we do. Yeah, I love that so much. You've shared so much today. Like I wanted to talk about the difference between quiet and calm. You touched upon that. And I love that you brought it back to this idea of helping them change their stories because we know a lot of these kids are half glass, half empty humans. There's a lot of inner negative self-talk going on. I guess I would love to just leave listeners too with thoughts from you about kind of keeping their eye on the bigger thing, because I think we have our own baggage, right, that we bring into this or the stories that we tell ourselves about our kids' negativity or their timeline, their trajectory, and we may lose hope that it's possible to help them shift that. So I will end with a little story. I was doing work in the far, far north of Canada in a place called Yellowknife. And I went there at the end of January one year, and it and the pilot came on the plane and said, Bundle up, folks. It's a balmy f- minus 42 out there. If, if you don't know what that means, it's very cold. <laughs> so they'd had to change my venue several times because so many people wanted to come. And so I end up, they take me to a theater, and the theater is SRO, standing room. And so, you know, I talk about all this stuff. And uh, at the very end, I stopped and I said, you know, I'm curious. It's really, really cold out. What are you all doing here? And there's this voice from the upper balcony, and he shouts down, it's because you give us hope. And that was a life changer for me, because I realized how many people are going onto your website, reading your book, listening to your podcast, desperately needing and in search of hope. And the message here is there has been a revolution in neuroscience. And we want them now to see that this hope is more than just a dream, that that we actually can do this now. I'm not at the point where I can say, you know, it's never easy. That's not the message. But the message is we can always change a child's trajectory. We can always give them a meaningful life and a life full of meaning. 
I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a great note to end this on. And listeners, I'm going to have a pretty extensive show notes page for this episode, and I'll have links to Stuart's book. The one we talked about today, again, was Self-Reg, How to Help Your Child and You Break the Stress Cycle and Successfully Engage with Life. And you also have a book that came out more recently which I have not read yet, but it's on my queue. It's called Reframed Self-Reg for a Just Society. So I have a feeling that's a more of a global message and why this work isn't just about our kids, but it's it's part of what we're doing here on this planet together. So excited to check that out. So thank you so much for just what you do in the world and for the revolution that you are a part of and for sharing with us today. And I will say to you, Debbie, keep it up. I love your website. I love your book. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. To go deeper into this episode, visit the extensive show notes page. For every episode, there's a dedicated page on my website with links to all the resources mentioned, a full transcript, and a podcast player with key takeaways marked so you can easily go back and re-listen to the sections you're most interested in. Just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this episode. The Till Parenting Podcast is hosted by me, Debbie Reber, author of the book Differently Wired and the founder of Till Parenting. This episode was edited by Andrea Curtis Amasquita, and show notes were put together by myself, Andrea, and Lindsay McFadden. If you get a lot out of this podcast and want to help cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. On Patreon, you can sign up to make a small monthly contribution, as little as $2 a month, and it's super easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash parenting to learn more or click on the Patreon link on any show notes page. To follow Tilt Parenting on social media, go to at Tilt Parenting on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by the listeners who need it by subscribing and leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information about this podcast or any of the resources that Tilt offers, visit TiltParenting.com. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.